0: Hello and welcome to the Sporticos Football Stories Podcast. My name is Craig Hansen, and today I'm joined by Sam Blakey, a Sunderland fan and contributor to the Roka Report, an SB Nation Sunderland fan site and its podcast, the Roka Rapport. Sam is on the pod today to talk us through the ups and downs of following one of English football's most historic clubs during one of its most tumultuous periods. From finishing 10th in the Premier League just a decade ago to a double relegation to League One, the Netflix documentary Sunderland Till I Die, Playoff Near Misses and much more. I can't wait to get into all of that on today's episode of the Sporticos Football Stories Podcast. Sam how you doing? I'm good mate how are you? Not too bad thank you so much for coming on to join us today Sam it's a pleasure to have you and the first thing we want to get into as always as we always do on the show is a little bit about your story of becoming a Sunderland fan could you walk me through sort of your earliest memories of following the team and how that came about?
1: Well it was weird because I've never really thought about it. I had to actually for the first time think about it and try and note it down it's one of those where it's like you can't remember anything other than going to the matches, being a fan, but it's just one of those where your dad does it and it was never going to be that you don't do it or support anyone else, really. Um, one thing I do remember is I think it was 2008, so I'd have, been, I'd have been 10, 9, 10, and I wasn't that bothered about going to the match. I'd been a few times, but it was like I wasn't interested, I was happy not going. And we beat, beat the Mags at home, we beat Newcastle 2-1. I want to say it was the first time in like eight years we'd beat them. And I was the only one out, my friends, not to be there. And like going into school and hearing them all talk about it, that's when I was like, I've got to start going now. So I think I've had a season ticket for about 12 years now, 11, 12 years.
0: Oh, wow. So you're a little bit younger than me then. So you're you're probably about, are you about 20 then, 2021? 22, Twenty-two, yeah, uh, yeah, we're about a decade apart. So I was going to ask you because I w- I wasn't sure um, from your picture, but you're definitely a Stadium of Light guy, right? You definitely weren't alive for the um, the Roker Park or anything like
1: that. No, I want to say the Stadium of Light opened the year I was born, so I didn't get experience with Roker Park or any- uh, Roker Park or anything, which is a which is a shame. But me dad and everyone's got great memories of it.
0: Is it still there? Because I don't obviously I'm um, being a, a non fan. I don't know any. I don't know much about it. Is that no? Did they knock it's it down? not. It's
1: like yeah, it's like flats and that now.
0: Okay, well, that's a shame. But but you've you've got beautiful stadium now. I mean, stadium of lights, one of the you know most beautiful, great stadiums in the country. Yeah. Um. Could you remember then? Um. You, you told us that story of sort of being jealous of your friends at school talking about how they'd gone. Had you been to a game before that? Can you remember your first game that you ever went to there?
1: Yeah, it was weird because. I I googled it yesterday and I still am unsure because I remember it was against Arsenal at home, and I remember Henri scoring and I thought in my head it was either three or four nil, and when I've googled it, there's back to back seasons where we've lost three nil and then four nil, so I'm starting to think I've either been to both and merged them together, or I've been to one. So I think you're talking like 2005, 2006. Well, I've been about seven. I vaguely remember Henri bending one in the corner and. Their fans not even really celebrating because it was like four nil at the time.
0: How old would you have been then? Do you think
1: seven, seven. maybe eight, about seven? So
0: it's not that blurry then. Because sometimes we talk to people and you know they say they were like one. So, so you you got a bit of a, a memory. Do you remember how you felt when you first? I mean, I think for me, one of the 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 kind of um, how could I say it, the one of the things that sticks with you the most is when you first walk up like the steps and you see the pitch even if it's a like little ground or a big ground do you remember how that felt going to a a proper live football match for the first time
1: um i sort of remember you know the typical walking out from the stands where walking up to the stands and you you see the massive pitch you you see the massive stadium as a kid it's, it's a bit overwhelming i remember all that um I was thinking about earlier in my first game, I was I was trying to Google it because you know when you sort of you don't know the year and stuff but you know little things in your mind and I was thinking I know it was Arsenal at home, I know Henri scored, and I know it was either three or four nil and when I've googled it we actually had back to back seasons at home against Arsenal with Henri scoring where we lost three nil and then four nil. So I can't work out whether I've been to both And merged them together or i've been to one and i can't remember which one it was but i'm guessing it was 2006 so i'll have been seven eight eight nine eight eight i think um so that's like my earliest memory but it was one of those where me dad from going to matches me dad's always had the same group of mates he goes with so at the time i couldn't get a ticket with him so my mum took us and we were in the ground like an hour early. You're you walking out. I remember walking out, you see, like, you know, the sprinklers, players uh, passing the ball around and stuff. And you've got the music on the background. And I still remember that to this day. Yeah, definitely.
0: And do you remember, sort of, how the club were getting on back then in your earliest days of fandom? Because I suppose that they were in the Premier League. And I think there's about a decade between us. So I remember. I think I remember more or less how you were getting on. But from your perspective, how would you say the team was performing back then and, and who were the like standout players that caught your attention?
1: The sad thing for me is, again, I, like obviously, I know most, if you've got an older Son a fan on, that's that, that straight away go to Quinn and Phillips because they were unbelievable, especially, you know, Kevin Phillips is a cult hero up here. You still, I see him in, he, he, sometimes you see him in town, he goes on a night out and he's just, he never have to buy a drink ever up here and he, he wouldn't be able to drink it because everyone wants a photo with him because it's super kev. But I was just after Quinn and Phillips, I'd I've never, I've never seen them play. So the closest I can think really is it didn't end well. So I'm, it's sad to say it, but Darren Bent for me, when I first started going, Darren Bent was scoring goals for fun, he was lightning quick, he would score good goals, he'd score tap-ins, he'd celebrate every time with the fans. I, I love Darren Bent, but obviously... That ended a bit sourly, went to Villa. There was question marks over why he went, money, England. So sad the way that ended but to be totally honest, Darren Bent was one of my heroes growing up. Um, But no, we had a good team back then. Obviously, I'm jumping the gun a bit from like 2008, but from when I properly remember going, it was, we had like Bent. I remember we played um, Chelsea away on a Monday night, I want to say. Under Steve Bruce, and we beat them three 0 at Stamford Bridge, and we just passed them off the park. And I was thinking back to that team now, when we had Jordan Henderson, Darren Bent, um, Asmir and Danny Welbeck on loan from Manu, who was like nineteen, the next big thing, Bolo Zenden. Uh, it was just an, it was an unbelievable team looking back. Obviously, like they're in them players are all in the early development. We look well to what they've gone on to do, and it's just. Scary, the team we had, not even that long ago, maybe 10 years ago compared to where we are now. But no, I I have real good memories of first supporting the club, especially really. It's, it's mad to think it was, it was normal for us to sort of finish 10th or 11th or if we finish lower than that, want a manager it out. It's crazy thinking back to how far we've, well, fallen, so to speak.
0: And what was it like as a school kid then in Sunderland back then? Because I know that, you know at least where I'm from, in the Midlands, and I think in a lot of places in the country, even back in my day, which is probably about 10 years before yours, there was a lot of glory on a lot of Man United fans, a lot of Liverpool fans. Um, My stories, which I've been over on the podcast loads of times and we don't need to go over again, is a little bit unique, but it seems like, um, you know, you do get, in the UK, you get people following their local teams a lot more, I would say, than in, in some other countries. That I've lived in, but there's still, you know, especially among little kids, there's a lot of following. You know, whoever's the big team at the time. What was it like for you at school? Did did everyone pretty much follow Sunderland, or did you have a lot of glory hunters and a lot of that kind of stuff going on, or is that just not done in the northeast? The thing is, when
1: I think back to school, it was like it was weird. It was almost you like football, so you're a Sunderland fan oh, you don't like football. You sort of you had the odd person piping up saying, oh, I'm a Man U fan or whatever, but he was almost, like, discarded. It was like, well, you know, not a football fan or unless it was, like, um, he's from there or has a genuine reason. But if someone pipes up and just says, no, I'm I'm a Liverpool fan, or whatever, you just... People say, oh, well, we're talking about Sutherland, we're proper fans, you know what I mean? Like, it was almost... You liked football. You went the match. That's what you did, or you didn't like football. It was weird, but I know obviously. There's I know people's memories from school, and like everyone supports Man U, Liverpool, and stuff. Honestly, my memory was just Sutherland. Like you might you might have had the odd mag, but they would usually keep their heads down unless they were one of the hard kids. But, um, no, that's going back to the earlier question of why you started. Uh, why I started going, it was. It was two thousand and eight, and we beat the Mags. We beat Newcastle at home two one, um, and I won us under Roy Keane. I think it was the first time we'd beat them in eight years or something. First time we beat them at home for ages, and I wasn't there. And the reaction to that game with everyone in school, my dad, me dad's friends talking about it, I was like, I need, I can't, I can't miss out on something like this. So I started going. Uh, because of that, really, and I've never looked back. Like it's, it's just like I say, it's what you do. Like it's, it's Saturday three o'clock. You're at the match, or you, you're watching the match, thinking about the match. um But unlucky for me, so I missed that 2008 derby, which was a great day. Kieran Richardson free kick, and instead, my first derby was at home, and we lost. What the uh, Newcastle beat us one 0 and that was actually the last time. That they managed to beat us over ten years ago, so just thought I'd throw that in there because that's a that's a nice little stat that I like to keep at hand.
0: Um let's talk about derbies now. So can you remember the first derby that you went to between you and Newcastle? How intense is that derby? Cause from where we're you know, the rest of the country from where we're standing, it looks like it's pretty pretty big, but it's hard to know unless you're from there, you know what I mean? So could you sort of give us a little bit about the energy of that like how intense really is it and then where do Middlesbrough fit in with all of that because are they is that a big derby which one's bigger is it sort of Middlesbrough Newcastle Middlesbrough Sunderland Sunderland Newcastle which is the biggest one of those sort of um northeast derbies
1: no Middlesbrough aren't even like Middlesbrough sort of that little annoying cousin or brother who's a bit younger and wants to tag along and you've just got a kind of like take him out when your mum tells you to nice. it, don't get us wrong I've been to Borough away and it's it's a big game when you're there because obviously their fans are going mental but it's not it's not on the same scale as as as, as Southern Newcastle not not at all and I think it's possibly the only thing we'll see I I on with Newcastle fans is that it's, it's not the same scale when we play Borough or when they play Borough I think um, something that will sum it up for you is can't remember what year, but you're going back a while and Middlesbrough were in the championship and they were in and we were in the Premier League and they were in the playoff final against Norwich. I think they lost 2 0. it was when like and Redmond Cameron Cameron Jerome were playing, I think. And maybe Dad were watching that match actually wanting Borough to win because our logic was, well, it's a close away game for next season. Whereas, can you imagine if we were in the Premier League, the Mags were in the Championship? There's no way I'd want them to win. I'd 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 have the shirt on of whoever they were playing. So, I think it's like I say, it's a big game when you play them. And you want to you you do want to beat them because they're local, but it's, it's totally different feeling. I don't like to the Newcastle game. I I hate the Derbys. Like it's weird when I talk to Sunderland fans, and I'm sure Newcastle are the same. Um. The you either sort of love Derby D or you hate it, and I'm very much hate it. Like, um, wherein we're doing well in the Carabao Cup at the moment as we're recording this, would just be uh, we're going away last night to reach the last sixteen and Newcastle on in the cup. But when there were a lot of Sudden fans wanted us to draw them, and I couldn't think of anything worse. Like, I I get what some some of our fans are saying. Look, we're a League One team, their Premier League. It's a free hit. But I couldn't, I couldn't stand them beating us and watching someone like Saint Maximan celebrate and do a dance. Now, I, I couldn't think of anything worse. The longer we can go without playing them, so I can say, you haven't beat us in ten years, six in a row, whatever." That'll do me. That's what I. That's the only bragging rights we have. So I'd like to keep hold of them for as long as possible. But one of the biggest memories I have. Um. Obviously I've <clears throat> I was thinking back And I've made a few notes And looking back to do this And like I've got so many good memories Of being in the Premier League Like I've I've seen us Well not just Premier League I've seen us at Wembley three times um, I've seen us beat Man United away And Chelsea away In the space of a week I went to both games to stay up But I went to St James's Park For the first time in 2000 1,015, 14 And we won 1-0 Adam Johnson scored in the 90th minute And when the ball hit the net I've never seen anything like it It was like It was just You'd think we'd won like the Champions League or something And taking it in isolation To a fan who doesn't quite understand the thing. If they saw them scenes They'd think well, You've only won three points But it's, that's how much it means To beat them lot uh, To beat them lot And they would be the same with us, and it was just it was that's probably my best memory supporting Sunderland is that game at St James's when Johnson scored and we won one 0 It was just incredible. Like, you would have like I say taking it in isolation, you would have thought would won a cup or something. It was that important and that memorable to every single fan there. It was unbelievable. I think that was to to make it four in a row, five in a row. So, no, that was it. That was unbelievable.
0: And what was it about the club that had such an impact on you when you were a kid that's kept you following them all the way up to now in adulthood? Because a lot of people are – I wouldn't say a lot of people, but some people, they sort of go through dips, you know what I mean, and they, they're really into it when they're a kid, and maybe they drop off, maybe they leave the area to go to uni or they they get into other stuff, you know what I mean? But it seems like you're very much into it, you know, <laughs> intensely so. um. What what was it that
1: about the club that kind of hooked you in that way? Do you think you sort of just it's it's not one of those like classic stories with football where you fall in love with it. Like I was saying, when I've got me earliest memory of walking up and seeing the stadium for the first time, seeing the pitch, I didn't necessarily fall in love with it because uh, from what I remember anyway, I enjoyed it, but I sort of more seen it as a deal with me or with me dad, but. Once I started going properly in 2009, 10, you just don't look back and it's like a, it's, it's like a culture thing. Like there's people obviously, I don't say on a daily basis, maybe once a week, once a month, whatever. The first thing you're talking about is the club and what's going on. No matter if we're in the Premier League Championship, League One, we could be in League Two, and it would be the first topic of conversation. It's it's just it's it's the way it is really. It's like, um, town like driving through town on a match day and seeing the place buzzing. It's it's it just it sucks you in and you just want you want to be a part of it. You don't want to miss out and it's I couldn't I couldn't think of anything else I'd rather do on a Saturday even if we're in like I say we could be in League Two bottom we could have lost twenty games in a row and Saturday at three o'clock you'd have. God knows how many people at the stadium are like waiting to see their team because that's all they know and that's all they're ever gonna know, and they wouldn't have it any other way.
0: And now, not just talking about the, we talked a bit about the derby that you have with Newcastle and how intense that is, but how would you describe the fan base in general? On a general weekly basis, would you, you know, when when you hear the name of a club, sometimes they have like a clear connotation with the fans. You know, if you hear Millwall something comes into your head. If you hear Brighton, something comes into your head. If you hear Galatasaray, something comes into your head. What do you think it is with Sunderland? How would you sort of sum up the identity of the club and its fans? What type of club do you think it is and and what type of fan base is it?
1: If I was thinking about this actually, and if I had to use a word to describe the fan base, it's sort of, you can take it as a negative or a positive and it's intense um, and it works both ways. I'm sure ex players or current players will tell you as well where, like I'm, I'm sure it probably came across in the documentary. But if where if you're not performing for with a Sunderland show on and you you're half arsing it and we're getting beat and you're not trying and it's obvious you want to be away, I couldn't care less. It's it's probably one of the worst. I couldn't think of a worse place to be for a player. But on the flip side, if you're Giving 110% every week And giving the fans something to get behind I could, I'm sure players will agree And say it's, one, it's possibly the best place to play Like um, The North East is just so Wrapped up in football and that's the way it is That's like I was watching the Newcastle game They played Leeds uh, Last Friday or something And obviously you've got 50,000 fans there, home to Leeds who were in the Championship not long ago the barely like Lead they were letting Leeds have all the possession and then like a sliding tackle comes in from Newcastle play and the noise is incredible, it's like a goal and that, it's the same it's the same at the stadium. We could have the worst player in our history kinda of kick a ball, but if he's gonna run his arse off to the point where he cannot walk, and he's sliding for challenges and not giving up. He's we're going to be we're going to want him to be captain. Do you know what I mean? That's just the way it is. So I think if I was a player, I think I would thrive on something like that because it's one of those where you give you give 110. You're going to be rewarded. Obviously, it depends what the team's doing and whether the team's doing well. But the proper the proper fans that I know and I'd like to think I know them, will back a player who's given up 110% because, like I said, over the last five years before League 1, we've had players who couldn't care less, so it's just nice to see players who want to be here and who realise they're lucky to be in a club like Sunderland.
0: Okay, and now we need to talk about the elephant in the room. I'm sure you've been asked about this a million times, I'm sure you're sick to death of talking about it, but... I haven't heard any Sunderland fans talk about it. You know, I haven't met any and actually spoken about it. So I'm desperate to talk to you about this. And that is the Netflix documentary, Sunderland Till I Die. Now, as a big football fan, I've watched a bunch of these. I remember the first one was actually another Netflix one, the Juventus one. I can't remember what it's called, but it's a really good one. Um, And I watched the um, Leeds one, the Man City one, the Spurs one. I can't wait for the Arsenal one. (laughs) That's going to be pretty entertaining. But overall, I think that the Sunderland Netflix one was the best one that I've seen. Thought it was fantastic, really insightful, really interesting to watch. But from your point of view as a fan, what did you make of it? How accurate was it? Do you think it was fair? Do you think it was? And was it entertaining to watch from your end?
1: The documentary is a weird one because the one thing I will say is, from a Sunderland fan's point of view, or maybe it's just me, but I a you. I'd assume it's everyone. Season two is a lot easier to watch than season one, which might be surprising because obviously it ends with us not getting promoted. But season one was just like you couldn't write a documentary. You couldn't write a documentary like that, could you? Really? I mean, Netflix who came in and give us the give give the club a contract, and for that first season, they're probably thinking, ah, well. They'll give it a good shot getting promoted. We might see a playoff race, and instead we will finished dead bottom of the championship. And then the next season, we we'll haven't got promoted. We've been to Wembley twice and took over London, and still you've got the fans at this point. I mean, you, you couldn't write it really, and I, I understand, to be fair, from a neutral point of view, why it's an entertaining documentary, do you know what I mean? But like I say, from a Sunlands fans' point of view, I enjoyed season two a hell of a lot more than season one um, because. <laughs> it's like season one within the first couple of episodes you've got players saying stuff like oh well we need to get playoffs at least we need to be back up where this club belongs and i'll just turn it off because obviously we all know how that season ends it's like you couldn't be far- further from the truth if you tried but i do i, I do film and media at uni so from like a, a documentary point of view if i'm being completely neutral it, it is a good documentary isn't it like it's just, like you were saying about the other documentaries I've watched, um, I've watched the City one, a bit of the Leeds one, the Spurs one, and it's just mad, like, it's 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 weird seeing these, like, seeing behind the scenes and in a dressing room and, like, players after a match, because sometimes as a fan you don't think of stuff like that. You see them walk off the pitch and you're booing them off and you don't think they're sitting in a dressing room furious with people and things like that, so... I think it was, it was. It's nice to see a bit inside, but no, personally, not the biggest fan, um, especially of the first season, for obvious obvious reasons. Yeah.
0: And one of the key talking points that came from the documentary, and I mean there were a load of them. I seem to remember some situations with some players getting drunk and not turning up for training. All of the drama with like the different chief executives and owners or whatever and managers. I think in the second season you had that mad guy who was coming in and changing the music at the beginning. That was a whole thing. But I think the biggest thing that stuck with a load of football fans was the Jack Rodwell thing. Um, I mean, I thought that was pretty... sort of It was a stark reminder, I suppose, of what um, football can be and how different it is to what we imagine. But what did you make of that whole thing? Do you think that it was a fair representation of the situation? Did how did it make you feel i mean i'm really interested to know as an actual fan of the club what you made of that whole jack rodwell contract situation
1: i think it just disappointed really like i remember it happening at the time obviously before the documentary came out like while it was going on and where's rodwell and like you hear your rumors and it's like oh he doesn't want to play but you're kind of like you're sort of giving him the benefit of the doubt and being like nah players wouldn't do that you know what i mean like Players want to play football he wouldn't do that as the club he was paying his wages, but then he watched the documentary, and I was just like, oh so he just he just didn't want to play he didn't didn't care he just it's sad to see because like it's his job, it's his profession like we wouldn't last two minutes doing that in our job our jobs do you know what I mean and that's where you feel a disconnect from your club sometimes players like him and I'm sort of pleased in a way the documentary showed him up for what he was. It's it's football, though, he was always going to get off the new contract. I think he went to Sheffield United. I know he's not done anything, but it's sad, isn't it? Because I remember when we signed Rodwell, we thought we were getting this, like, English box to box centre midfielder who's going to rejuvenate his career. And it's like, it's sad that, like, sometimes a football player just doesn't have motivation and just gets the hum for whatever reason and and realises he has more power than he should. It's just sad to see, but, nah, uh, disappointed with the Rodwell situation. I could use worse words, but luckily it's been a few years, so I can just sum it up with disappointment.
0: Now, this question sort of could depend, I suppose, on, on where you stand. I mean, most of the people we've interviewed, I think all the people we've interviewed so far have been from top-flight clubs either in the Premier League or in other countries. I mean, the, I think Brighton is the is the sort of lowest down the pyramid we've had and, and they're a Premier League club. So being a League One club, um, it's a totally different thing. Now, it did, maybe, maybe you won't see it this way, but I often think that when you're, I don't know, I, I might, you know, just, just being a fan of a, a top club who wins the league every year and blah, 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 it must get boring, you know, like to be, for example... You know, uh, when Celtic won the league nine times in a row, I just feel like, why would you be going? You know what I mean? At this point, just so boring. Do you actually find that being a Sunderland fan nowadays could actually be pretty interesting? Because you've got something to strive for. you got you got targets to aim for, promotion. You want to get back to the Premier League. You're a long way away. That's like a, a long project to stick with, to keep going, following the team. Hopefully, they'll get there. I mean, is that better than just sort of being fifteenth every year in the Premier League? I know you're playing the big teams, but there's nothing really to go for, is there? I mean, that's maybe it's my point of view because I follow a Premier League team, but sometimes I do think I'd probably be more invested actually if there was a bit more jeopardy. But what do you? What's your take on that as a Sunderland fan?
1: It's a really interesting one because, like, every season the answer sort sort of changes, like. The first season in League One was honestly up there with 2014 for being my favourite season supporting Sunderland. And in 2014, we got to Wembley, we beat Newcastle twice, and I went to Man, Man U away, Chelsea away, and we not to steal. So the fact that that maybe on par with a season in League One that didn't end in promotion and that ended in... Uh, check the trade trophy final defeat sums it up because it was just nice to like play like give it the bigging for a change i know that sounds a bit like um i don't know what the word is but like full of ourselves but it wasn't it was like it was nice to go to like blackpool away take eight thousand fans like i know you're saying you're a walsall fan i went to walsall the first season in league one and we took half the ground and we had 10 men and we drew 2-2 at the end. And it was like, there was fans on the pitch. It was mental, like, to get a point away at Walsall. But that's how much the club means to people. And it was... It's it's getting different now. Obviously, the first season was like... It felt like a bit of a free hit. Like, oh, it's a bit... It was just different. But I think every fan thought we were going to have a laugh and get promoted. But once you're stuck in this league for a few years, it really starts to drain on you. Like, it's just... It's hard for us being in this league because we, I feel like our fans can't win sometimes if um if we just like look down on our noses at teams people think we're arrogant and expect to not be where we are can't accept where we are, but like if we celebrate when we're top of the league, it's like you're suddenly what you're celebrating for beating Accrington Stanley. like it's it's sort of a rock, but you're between a rock and a hard place sometimes I remember um. I think it was two years ago, Joey Barton, obviously he's not the best person to reference, but uh, we'll do it anyway. He was manager of Fleetwood and it was the Fleetwood were beating us two one at the Stadium of Light and Max Power equalised last kick of the game to make a two two, just to get a point against Fleetwood. We should have got all three, but we, and we celebrated like like every fan would, equalising in the ninety fifth minute and Joey Barton took great pleasure in his um Interview after the match, saying it was nice to see Sunderland celebrating like they'd won the World Cup, uh, rescuing a point against little old Fleetwood. So it shows you how intelligent Joey Barton is, thinking that uh, Sunderland are in the World Cup. Like, but uh, no, um, it's like I said, the, the more we've been stuck in League One, the more you just kind of be bothered with it. But this season, obviously, it, you're sort of taking it with a pinch of salt to support because. A lot of it might be down to the fact that fans haven 't been able to go for eighteen months, and obviously everyone knows the situation so the fact that we 're back in packed stadiums it's still got that sort of um excitement to it because it hasn't happened in a while. but the fact we 're getting thirty thousand fans on average in League one at home is it's it's amazing in my opinion, like um you see on Twitter after the match days when we 're at home. You see, like EFL top attendances this weekend, and we're at the top by quite a bit, and we're not even in the highest league in the EFL. So, no, nah, it's nice to see. Like, um, it's nice to see the fans get behind the team because we've um, we've been taken over by a young lad, Kirill Louis uh, Dreyfus. um twenty three which is really young for an owner, especially when you're not from this country, like taking over a club like Sutherland. But by all accounts, he's, he knows what he's doing. He's putting structures in place. Um, we've had a really good transfer window from the outside looking in. We've sort of changed our transfer strategy. Um, we're not going for so-called league. We haven't gone for so-called league one journeymen. We've gone for like young lads who, if they get, back, if they get fully fitness and... Reach their potential The the idea behind the squad we're putting together Is it could do well in the championship Or at least hold its own in the league above Obviously you've got to get there first But it's nice to have a, a plan and a be forward thinking um, Like I think it was last summer's transfer deadline day We signed a 35-year-old Danny Graham Who'd already fielded at the club once And fast forward a year later Still in League One On transfer deadline day We signed two Young lads, twenty-one and twenty-two, I think, from Bayern Munich on loan, was the option to buy at the end of the season. So it just it just shows the direction the club are heading in. And obviously, nothing changes unless you get promoted. You still need to get out this league. You can do everything off the pitch, but you can do all sorts off the pitch you want. But you need to win games to get out this league. So I know better than anyone supporting Sunderland. I could be looking back on this podcast in May, and be turning it off at this exact moment because we haven't got promoted but um i will say it does feel a bit different this year obviously and it's only been six games or whatever and it's a long old season in league one but i think no i didn't actually realize this but we've we're joined top of the league at the minute but for a few weeks we were top of the league a few weeks ago and I didn't realise this is the first time we've ever been top of the league in League One since we've came down. So that's four years in this league with the biggest budget, the biggest expectation, the biggest fan base, and we haven't been top of the league. So I think it it, it was mad when I found that out. But it, it, does, it does have a different feel to it. So hopefully we'll get out this league and then see what the owners, the manager and the players can do when there's maybe a bit less expectancy on them. the championship
0: and now before we come on to the current state of the team and start talking about some more topical affairs when it comes to Sunderland we're going to take one very quick break and we're back so it's been two near misses in the playoffs within three years it's got to be tough for a fan why weren't the side able to get over the line and win promotion?
1: Thinking back to the first field playoff attempt, which is a sad statement, um, we got Portsmouth in the semi-final, who who we'd sort of formed a rivalry with, if you like. So that felt like a big hurdle from the start. Um, I'm pretty sure we'd, Lost to them And drew with them in the league Prior um, So that was hard we, we overcame that great goal by Chris Maguire It, it took a lot out of the players But we got there, we got to Wembley And then I remember the day after It was Doncaster, Charlton To see who we were about to play And the feeling amongst the fan base was We don't want Charlton Because Charlton at the time If I remember rightly We were absolutely flying um, they finished third But they sort of came out of nowhere And just like bossed the end of the season So they had all the momentum They had good players They had a, they had a great spine of the team They had um, the lad who scored the goal against us I think it was Bauer Centre back They had good midfielders I think it had uh, Cullen On loan from West Ham Was clearly a cut above League One um, And they had Lyle Taylor up front Who it wouldn't be Sutherland if there wasn't a narrative. Apparently, um, in the summer, when we went down to League One, Lyle Taylor came to Stadium Light. we were looking to sign him, and then the rumours are that he... Obviously, the, the talks were ongoing, so he had to stay in a hotel, and he wanted Sutherland to pay for his hotel, put him up for the night, and we told him he had to pay, and he apparently left and ended up signing for Charlton. How much of that is true is... Another question, but with it being Sunderland, I wouldn't put it. Uh, I wouldn't put it past us. But so, no, he was playing, and he was a uh, like he's in. He straight away went to the championship after as well. So he he was a cut above. But so, Charlton were playing Doncaster in the semi final, and it went to penalties. And you were sort of watching, and thinking like you were never going to take a game for granted. But I just remember thinking if if Doncaster win this, I. I fancied us a hell of a lot in the final Because, no disrespect to Doncaster But they they probably wouldn't sell out their end of Wembley It would be all the Sunderland fans, all the atmosphere I'm pretty sure we'd we'd beat them twice in the league And they weren't as good as Charlton So I remember thinking, please But then John Marquis Who was the centre forward for Doncaster He's now at Portsmouth. He was in great form that season He was one of the top scorers in the league Missed a penalty, I think, to win it and then Charlton went on to win, so you were sort of not deflated, um, but you you watching them celebrate, thinking, ah, donk. I it definitely would have been the lesser of two evils there, like, but sort of on the day, um, it didn't. It just we we were terrible at Wembley. It was weird. It was like the players didn't turn up, and we had a a winger on loan from Celtic at the time, Lewis Morgan. And he, he was on the bench And Max Power got injured Two minutes into the game And Lewis Morgan came on And since then he's been on a I can't remember what podcast it is, But he's been on a football podcast since And he was asked about it And he was just sort of casually sitting there laughing Saying yeah we weren't really up for the game The gaffer never got us up for the The players weren't really feeling it whatever," Which is extremely disappointing From a fan's point of view When you know, you've got 40,000 people have went to London from the North East to support the team when a month before or two months before they went in London spending God knows how much on the Czech trade trophy. So people were saving up money to go travelling to support their team and you've got a young lad coming off the bench in front of 80,000 people saying he couldn't really get up for the game. So that's disappointing. But no, I think I sort of... You want to say you want to see things when I didn't go our way, but sometimes you can just not turn up on the day and be beaten by the better team. I mean, I know you've seen the documentary. Charlton genuinely kicked the ball into their own net to put us one nil up, and we still lost the game in ninety minutes deservedly. So I think that tells you everything you need to know about the playoff final. Really, um, the other near miss, obviously, was the season just gone. We got to Lincoln. We got Lincoln in the semi-final, and it was just a bit of a disaster in the first leg down at Lincoln. Um, I can't remember their first goal, but the second goal was just a horrific one where player passes about the uh, Tom Flanagan passes about the keeper, and it's a bit short. And Bird sort of hesitated for a set, and then waxed it straight off their centre forward into the net. So. You're down two 0 going back to Stadium alive, But I think it sums up our fan base. That was the first game fans could go back to, so I think there was ten I wanna say there was ten thousand Sunderland fans. And I wasn't at the game, but my mate was and he just you could I didn't even need him to tell us the noise from like the T V was, was immense of of uh, of us trying to roll our team on and we scored two 0 got back into it and then Conceded from a corner right after half time And then couldn't find the goal So that did feel like a near miss If you want to call it unlucky Or you've got yourself to blame Because the goal is in the first leg It's it's a bit of both But I think this season We've just got to look to just To just get automatic promotion I know that's always been the goal But you can be the best team You can be the third best team in the league by far And get beat on the day to the sixth-place team who've just scraped it because they're more enthusiastic, they're happier to be there than you. They've got a small ground that suffocates you, the players and the the noises. So I think you do get the feeling being a Southern fan, if we are to get promoted, it will be automatic. So I just, I just, you just get the feeling the playoffs isn't for us. Um, I guess time will tell, but you'd like to think it's one of those where you close every year and then one year everything just clicks and you just walk the league. And I'd love that to be this year, but only time will tell. All I do know is it won't be plain sailing and straightforward because it's uh, Sunderland Football Club. So we'll have to see.
0: And how did you feel about the EFL Trophy win? I don't know if it's... um, Is it the Papa John's Trophy or Checker or Trade Trophy now? I think Papa John's, but anyway, the EFL Trophy... Some fans might smirk at it. Some fans might look down their noses at it, especially them ones from the Premier League because they just don't understand lower league football, I think. But you're in the lower leagues now. That's where you are. And there's nothing wrong with winning a trophy day out at Wembley. Well, I think in this case, actually maybe not day out because of the um, coronavirus. But won a trophy nonetheless. And I think personally, I'd be celebrating it if, if um, my club had won it. What did you What did you make of it? How did you feel about winning the EFL trophy?
1: It, again, because it's Sunderland, it was done in weird fashion. It's the first, it was the one year in football that we couldn't go to games. So, of course, the one time none of our fans can go to Wembley, we win at Wembley. I believe we'd lost seven times in a row, seven or eight times in a row at Wembley before that, in front of fans. And then the one time no one can go, we win. But no, I've, it was properly celebrated by me and a few of my mates watching. Um, you know, you've just seen your team win at Wembley, if there's no fans there, or it doesn't matter if there's no fans there or what they're playing for, it's a final. And you're seeing them lift a the trophy, I'd, n- I'd never seen that. A large majority of our fan base had never seen that. So I don't think, it, was, it wasn't as celebrated as if we'd say winning the FA Cup or something, but it wasn't like, we everyone had a good night, do you know what I mean? And at the time, we were looking to get promoted. So winning a trophy with two months left of the season or whatever, it, it makes you feel good as a fan. It makes you think we can do this. We can win things. We can get over the line. So, um, no, I was, it was, I was buzzing for the lads, for the, for the manager. You yeah, had players like, um, Grant Leadbetter lifting a trophy. Lifelong, Sunderland lad, local lad. He's been through, all sorts in his life. Mental health problems. with both of his parents dying, and he's standing there lifting a trophy at Wembley in a Sunderland kit. So. No, it was, it was great. It was a great day. It was, it was great to see, really.
0: And how would you sum up the performance of Lee Johnson so far after coming in last December, finishing fourth, falling short in the playoffs again, winning a trophy? What do you make of him in terms of the style of play and the performances and the results? I mean, how good a job do you think he's been doing?
1: Um, I like Lee Johnson. People are still a bit... Not, not like divided as in the the one I'm out But I think he's still got a bit to prove to people. I think the start of the season has definitely got a lot more people on side because we are getting see sort of an identity. We're playing good football. We've we've got young lads coming through. He's he's apparently really excellent at managing young players. Like we've got a lad in centre midfield, Dan Neal, who's nineteen, local lad. Um. He's just, he's been unbelievable this season. Scored a great goal the other week. He's hes taking the ball on the turn in centre midfield and playing it through the line. And it's exactly what you want to see. So, now I like Lee Johnson. It was hard for him coming in when he did last year because I'm not Phil Partinson's biggest fan at all. I think Phil Partinson left him with an agent squad, a defensive squad, an unhappy squad. So, I'm not going to lie and say it was it's all been rosy. Um games before the playoffs we did i believe we didn't win in five or something um and people were questioning lee johnson but i think we've just got to give him this season obviously it's his first proper transfer window and full season with this with the squad so you've got to see how he gets on and if you take the first six games join top of the league and only lost one game And in the game we lost We were very unlucky to lose If it stays like that We'll get promoted So You've just got to Look back And say Take it in stages Look back at Christmas See how he's getting on And look back At the end of the season But From what he's had To deal with Coming in With the players And the change of ownership And everything I think he's done a solid job Lee Johnson And I I like him as a manager He speaks well He's, he's honest In his interviews He's one of those managers Who you know, if you've sat and watched your team play crap, he'll come out in the interview and he won't say, "Ah, oh, there's positives. He'll say, look, we know it wasn't good enough, we'll improve. Which is sometimes, as a fan, you just want a bit of honesty. So I, I like Lee Johnson.
0: Um, who have been the sort of key players in the last few years since you've been down there in League One? From an outsider, I like Lyndon Gooch, the American kid. Whenever I watch him, I feel like he always does good. And, I- and, I'm-, and I'm over the moon to see Aidan McGeady still out there. Doing his thing. I mean, it looks like he's, um in, in terms of numbers, it looks like he's doing a good job and he must be getting up there now. Um, Who've been, in terms of, in your opinion, who've been the, the players that you put the most trust in during this spell?
1: Well, it's weird because thinking about it, it's only the fourth season in League One, and I say it only, it feels like it's been 10 years, but we've had quite a turnover of players. There's not many players who have been here since that first season. Obviously, you mentioned two, McGeady and Gooch, you've got Luke 09. Um, I'm probably missing a glaring one but we haven't really had that core do you know what I mean it's sort of been we either had players who were too good for League 1 that got snapped up like Josh Madger or we've had players we've signed players League 1 players and it hasn't really worked like you Max Powers and Charlie Wikes and stuff so um, but Gooch has been in the academy since he was at Burn, so it's always nice to see players like that do well. He um, does get a bit frustrating, Gooch, because, like you say, from an outsider, you know the talent's there, but he's one of those players where he'll either be a 10 out of 10 unbelievable or he'll, you'll not really notice him. Um, but obviously, McGeady's got that star quality, is not it? It's a shame he's well, 36, 37-year-old now, but he's still like, when McGee gets the ball one-on-one against his defender, you, you sit forward, do you know what I mean? And,
0: the only important question: Do you think that this year could be the year that you finally get automatic promotion or win a player final and get back up into the championship?
1: Uh, I'll say yes because I've said it before and it came out about it. So, um, but it's 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 a long, long season in League One. Do you know what I mean? Sort of. Um, the first season in League One, Luton won the league. I think I'm right in saying they were just they weren't even anywhere near it until about January and then they just flew. So it's one of those where you don't want to peak too early and yeah, we're playing well, but with the players we've got a lot of fans will say we're not actually at our best. Like there's glimpses of what Lee Johnson's trying to do, sort of good passing moves, but I think it's obviously consistency and like most fans will tell you we're going to go through dips. Do you know what I mean? We're not going to win every single game in League One. We might go five games without a win, but I think it's important how we react and how the the, the management, the manager, and the the lads do with sort of pressure. Because, like I say, the stadium lights like, a great place to be at the minute—thirty thousand people in League One. But if we suddenly go five home games without a win and it's a bit restless, you just you're hoping everyone can keep calm because. Like look at the table now. We've got the players and we've got the we've got the attributes to do it. So hopefully, they didn't just pull it off. But I'm going to say yeah, because like I said earlier, it does have a slightly different feel about it this year.
0: Let's hope so. Let's be let's be optimistic. Let's be positive. Now, before we come on to a couple of questions from our Twitter fans, we're going to take a very quick break. And we're back. So we do have a couple of questions from a fan called Gav. On Twitter that we're going to put to you now you've got mail first one is pretty much a repeat of what I just said will we go up this season
1: <laughs> oh god um, yes go on then yes
0: yes you will and secondly how do we fit Broadhead into the side
1: um, I think that's been asked because we played we played Wigan away last night in the cup and he scored a goal and he looked really good um, I think it was what I was saying earlier I um, Gooch has been a bit inconsistent for a few weeks now, so I'm not necessarily seeing like get him out the team. Do you know what I mean? I think with the amount of games you play this year, everyone's going to play a part. So I would maybe like to see Broadhead out wide because he's. I think he's. I want. I, I don't know if I'm right in saying he's naturally. Um, he was. He's a striker, but he's sort of a bit quick. So you know why you, you play him out wide. But um. I'm quite a fan of like a secondary striker being out wide because I like sort of their instinct getting into the back stick and stuff so I think I'd like to see Broadhead maybe start a game out wide for a gooncho McGdy see what he can do in the league
0: okay well before we finish off and get you out of here then Sam we're gonna finish with our little quiz that we always like to do with every guest called do you know your heroes <music> Don't worry oh too much about these; They're, they tend to be quite ridiculous and uh, and quite difficult. So that's kind of the, the the meme. So don't worry about it if you don't know any of them. But we'll see how we get on. I think oh, you'll know God. a couple of them for sure. Some of them are, aren't too bad.
1: I forgot to do research. I'm not going to lie. I googled one <laughs> question, and I'm not even going to lie; I've instantly forgot the answer.
0: <laughs> don't worry. We could. We'll we'll see how we go. So the first question is: How many top flight titles? have Sunderland won in their history? Um,
1: I'm pretty sure I know this one. Six.
0: Correct, it is six. Question number two. Who remains the club's record appearance
1: holder? Oh. Are you allowed to give clues or not?
0: Yeah, I'll give you one clue. This is sort of... Um, this. It's not ancient history, but it's 60s, 70s. Oh.
1: <sighs> See, I'm trying to work out, because obviously I haven't got a clue, but there's players I know from that era, obviously, who won the cup and stuff. Do you know if he's a goalkeeper, or do you not know?
0: I do not know. I just have the name and
1: the number. Is it Jimmy Montgomery? Very good. See, I told you. Yeah, it is. You you should
0: believe in yourself. You know these. Jimmy Montgomery made 627 appearances between 1960 and 1977. Crazy. Uh, next one is—is uh, is it even even further in the past? Oh, who is the club's record goal scorer in competitive matches?
1: Right, I actually think I know this because you know during the first lockdown when you were doing a quiz every every week, me and the lads did one, and yeah. I th- I thought it was Rich Carter, but I'm pretty sure it's a I don't know who it is. Is it Bob? Oh, is it? Is it like, oh, yeah? Is it Gurney or something? Yes, Gurley. very good, Bobby I Gurney. I literally know that from a quiz answer. And all the lads are like, <laughs> "Oh, we don't know who that is." See, so we're three for three not. so
0: far. You're doing better than most. Wow. Bobby Gurney, two hundred twenty-eight goals between nineteen twenty-five and nineteen fifty. Oh, long career. Um. Now we're getting to a little bit more modern day stuff. Oh. On on which player did the club spend its current record transfer fee?
1: Oh, I don't actually. Oh. I'm trying to think because there's names going round my head, but I'm trying to think when we were. It was obviously last when we were in the Premier League, and I remember. I remember it was it might be in Dong, but I don't know if I'm going to go with in Dong, but he's either. Just below or just above our record signings, I'm
0: going to say Didier and Dong. It is Didier and Dong, four for four, um, signed from Lorient for £13.6 million. I read um, an article on the Roka Report the other day, actually, about like just the 10 worst, you know, most ridiculous... Oh, was he in there? And he was in there, yeah. The, the, <laughs> yeah. Just you haven't had much luck with, with, the, with some of these no. signings. Yeah. Um, but in happier news... Uh, what is the club's record transfer fee received? For which person?
1: It's one of the Jordans. It is. Is it Pickford?
0: It is, Jordan Pickford. £30 yeah, million pounds to Hupers, Everton. Henderson. Obviously, it's never nice to lose um, such a good player. And I think a local lad, right? Pickford, is he? He's a...
1: Oh, yeah. He, he, loves, he loves it. He, every time he plays at St. James, does he get himself into bother? Because he's just... The emotions take the better on him. <laughs> but, yeah, he's a so it's, lad. It's
0: never nice, obviously, but to make £30 million doing good business, it's a lot better than the Ndong story, I think. so. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway... Uh, now we're getting on to really um, recent history. Who scored the most goals for the club last season in all competitions?
1: Uh, Charlie White.
0: Do you know how many? Oh
1: uh, 30. So to me like 32. Oh,
0: so close. 31 oh, goals man. in 53 games in League and Cup. But Charlie White was the correct answer. So we are six for six. You had nothing to worry about. Ooh. Um. On the other hand, who provided the most assists for the club last season in League One, in, in the league? McGeady. Very good. Do you know how many?
1: Oh, I don't. I know it was impressive because he didn't even play half the season. Um, I can tell you, it was like
0: 13 or something? Very close. 16 assists in oh, 31 exactly. matches. Very impressive. Only 31. 16 in 31. Unbelievable. That's mental, isn't it? That I think
1: he started playing again in January and he was barely up to speed. Yeah,
0: that is that is impressive. Now, you worried about doing this quiz with no research? We've never had an eight out of eight. This question to do the to be the first person to get all eight correct. Oh. Apart from England, which really? which nationality is best represented in the current Sunderland first team squad?
1: Apart from England.
0: Obviously, the majority <laughs> of the players are from England, and then you've got a few from some different places. But there's one country that's got is you know is is, the, is the second most represented. This mm. always stumbles, and no one ever gets this.
1: <laughs> I'm trying to think because we've got McGeady who's Irish, Ross Stewart who's Scottish, uh, but everyone else is pretty much oh we just signed the two German lads. But I don't think we've got any other German players. But we've got two Northern Irish as well, Flanagan and Evans. Oh. is the one is there a one more than anything else, or is it like a tie?
0: Well, according to this, there's three of this one, and it's one oh. one of the ones you mentioned.
1: I'm trying to think.
0: According to my research on Wikipedia, assuming that this is all above board, there's. This is going to
1: drive us insane
0: when I find out. Um, there's three in the squad and one out on loan
1: from this country. Three in, so there's four altogether or is the third one out on loan? No,
0: nah, there's four altogether. One's on loan Ugh. and there's three in the current first team squad, according to Wikipedia, from this country.
1: Is it, I think I'm, I think I know it's Northern Ireland now because of Will Grigg. Northern Ireland!
0: Eight, eight right? out of eight. That's the first
1: time. Who's the third player? So apparently
0: gone? it's um, Captain Corey Evans, Tom Flanagan, Tom Flanagan, and Carl Winchester.
1: Oh, I didn't know he was an old I mean, go. I've listened to his interviews and he very much is, but <laughs> I didn't actually I didn't think they're yeah, going to know it. I, I, to be fair... I think you give us a bit of a nudge as soon as you said on loan.
0: Well, either way, um, we're still gonna we're still gonna
1: count it. A little it nudges great.
0: here and there are all good, but that's eight out of eight, so it definitely seems like you're worried over nothing.
1: I'm pleased I didn't do any research because I probably would have researched all the wrong things <laughs> and just records against Newcastle and stuff. Well,
0: Sam, it's been an absolute pleasure going down memory lane with you. Um, before we go, do you um, do you want to tell the listeners where they can um, listen to you or, or read your stuff?
1: yeah it's uh, just a a Report um to fanzine there's great articles on the website we do like we've got really good writers they do play ratings straight after the game talking points and we've got the podcast a Report um, straight you've got my favourite is the pub cast we do straight after the game it's like you know when you go to the pub after the game talking with your mates over a pint about what happened and someone puts a microphone on and then we'll get Good guests, on next sunderland players. Recently, we've had Vinnie Jones on, so uh, no, it's rock report and it's it's Sunderland's best fanzine, I'm going to say
0: lovely stuff. Well, I I urge the listeners to to check that out straight away, as I will be doing myself, especially that podcast that does sound good. Um, <laughs> but with that being said, thanks so much for joining us today, Sam. Good luck with the season, and uh, hopefully, I'll catch you down the line.
1: No, thanks a lot. Really enjoyed it. It's nice to. I went into this thinking it was going to be all doom and gloom, but it's nice to reminisce about happy times as well.
0: Good times. Good times and bad on the Sportacost Football Stories podcast. Okay, Sam, thanks a lot, buddy. Catch you later.
1: Cheers, me too, later.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Sportacost Football Stories podcast. Please like, share and leave positive reviews wherever you listen. We really, really appreciate that. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend online or offline. That really helps a small podcast like ours to organically grow. Also, head to sportacost.com for live streams, data, statistics and much more from the world of football. You can follow us on Twitter at sportacostcom. You can follow myself at craigsportacost.com. And we would also love to read out the thoughts and questions of our listeners. So please feel free to tweet those to me anytime or send us an email to show at Sportacost.com with your opinions or your questions and we'll get to them on the next episode. Thanks again so much to Sam for joining us today. Thanks to you for listening and see you on the next episode of the Sportacost Football Stories podcast.